Good to see you this morning. Uh, this is uh, beginning official beginning, I think, at Great Oaks of Summer. We call this, uh, you're the few, the proud, the Memorial Day crowd. Okay. Uh, you know, the summer's always kind of a crazy time. We've been in the process of uh, studying Acts, so we're going to continue that up and actually probably accelerate the process a little bit. We spent a lot of time early on in Acts kind of looking through specific verses and actually spent a lot of time in each chapter. As we come toward the last uh, eight or nine chapters of Acts here, we're actually going to finish up by the second week in July of studying through this passage. So you see that's going to be like nine chapters and we're going to have a lot to go here, but we're going to be looking at a couple of chapters today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 18 and we're going to be looking at that and talking about uh, this whole thing that we've been looking at for several weeks. Now, I don't know about, have you heard this story before, but I don't know if you heard the story of the two monks uh, many, many years ago, back uh, before the printing press. And their deal was is that some of the monks, one of their jobs was, and these two monks particularly were in a monastery where their job was to actually uh, copy down, make write handwritten manuscripts of Scripture. And uh, it was also a monastery where they could not speak. So for months and months and months and months and months, uh, these two monks had been sitting together in this monastery across from each other, transcribing uh, scripture, handwriting scripture. And this one monk particularly seemed agitated. for the for a, He'd been agitated for like a month. But, of course, he couldn't say anything. And finally, he just got so agitated, he finally said, I know we're not supposed to speak, but what if we get it wrong? And the other monk looks at him and goes, what do you mean? What if we're copying this down wrong? It's important. And, and he says, well, you know, that's not a big deal. If you're concerned about what you're copying down, if it's right or not, go down to the archives and uh, pull out the original manuscripts and, and look at those and compare them to what you're writing so that it makes sure everything's right. And so this monk picks up the, the part, portion of Scripture that he's writing down, and he walks out into the, goes down into the archives, and he stays down there for over two hours. Uh, and all of a sudden, this other monk hears this screaming, this screeching voice going, Oh, no! And he comes running, he goes running downstairs and the guy looks at him, the first monk looks at him, he's concerned and he's going like, we forgot, we left out the R. We left out the R. And he's going like, so what? He says, well, the word's supposed to be celebrate. This was a test to see if you can spell. You know, sometimes one letter left out in the wrong place can mean a whole lot of different things. Some of you hadn't gotten it yet, so just work on it today. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was a good story. Anyway, <laughs> uh, you remember when we began, we talked about this, and Chris talked about it last week, that Acts 1.8 is the key verse to the whole thing of, of the key of what we're trying to do and understand. Acts 1.8 says this, that when you will receive power... Uh, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, everything we've been looking at is about this, this process of the church, these early, these early Christians living out this verse, uh, beginning the process of starting in Jerusalem and, and, and sharing the gospel and being witnesses there and then going out to Samaria and, 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 and to Judea and Samaria and then finally to the ends of the earth to the Gentiles. And we've seen this process. And, and, and in the process, remember, we talked about that the Apostle Paul had, start, had been on a, a couple of missionary journeys. The first one was very successful. 
It seemed like everywhere he went, he was successful in sharing the gospel and starting churches. And that whole first missionary journey was what I would call, man, a real easy trip because he went across and he went back and and encouraged the churches along the way. But then we began a a couple of weeks ago talking about the second missionary journey. The first one started Jerusalem, ended in Jerusalem after the Jerusalem Council. And then it began the process of getting him going back out. And the process at that point we talked about was he wanted more than anything to go to Asia. Uh, Paul did to plant churches there. But uh, we looked at the scripture where it said that the Holy Spirit or God, the Spirit of God, closed the door. And as he closed the door, what happened was is it directed him somewhere else. And that was to where Europe and into Europe. And, and that was the beginning of the gospel being proclaimed there. But that was not without problems as well, because if we look through over the last couple of weeks, there was a lot of of uh, a lot of problems as he went through. Uh, going on the sixth, second missionary journey, it seemed like as many places as there were successes, there were also failures or, or difficulties or, or whatever. And, and even we looked at the thing, what happened was is that uh, uh, Paul had gone and preached Christ and trouble followed, it seemed, because he had uh, been harassed by a demon-possessed slave girl in one place, and, and he was beaten and imprisoned, and more on one occasion he was run out of town. So we see the second missionary journey being a little different than the first. It was, it was, it was something that was, um, that was a, a little bit more trying for him. And today when we come to the, today's scripture, we'll be looking at portions of scripture out of chapter 18 and 19 of, of Acts. Uh, we see Paul continuing this second missionary journey. Uh, last week Chris talked about the whole thing of him going to Athens and, and, and the doors that were open and closed there and, and uh, and then today I want to talk about what I learned this this past week of studying and going back and looking at 18 and 19. Um, it's interesting that it starts off by talking about him. Uh, he left Athens, went on to Corinth. And Corinth, uh, it was a very, very, uh, as we look in Scripture, we have two whole books in Scripture in the New Testament that is, was letters written to the Corinthian church that are very lengthy, that talks about the difficulties that were there and how he had to constantly correct some of their, their doctrine and their problems they had. But as he went there, it says on verse 4, every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And, and then it says in verse 6, he, Jews opposed Paul and he and became abusive. And once again, some problems go on here in this place. And, and in verse 7 it says he left the synagogue and, and he went to the house of a worshiper of God. And, and it says that at Christmas the synagogue ruler in verse 8 and his whole household believed. So it was ups and downs. There were successes and failures throughout this. But then I found it interesting what was kind of put in the middle of this here that it says in verse, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 9, it says, One night in the midst of all this that's going on and this turmoil in his life, these ups and downs, successes and failures, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. And it says this, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. And then in verse 11, it says this. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. The one thing I found is true is that while the Holy Spirit says promises to come into our life and empower us, that we can be witnesses, it doesn't always mean it's going to be easy. Have you ever gone in life and done everything you feel like everything right and you're still discouraged? Uh, things things are just not going your way and, and and you're going like well god i've done what i think you want me to do but it's just not working very well and so even the apostle paul needed encouragement to stay and keep preaching the word 
and pre- continue to teach the word. And as I was beginning to look at what followed this in the rest of chapter 18 and verse 19, one theme seemed to arise out of this as well, and that is the question, that is the title of the message today, uh, getting the message right. Why is it important to get the message right? Because it says that we're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other ends of the, the, ends of the earth. But what is the message we're to, to proclaim, and why is it so important to get it right? And in, in this passage today, I want to point out three different, I would call them illustrations, or three different ways that if we don't get the message right, what can happen? And why is it so important to get the message right? That's going to be kind of the outline of what we're looking at today. As the journey continues here, it shares down in verse 24, and I'm going to skip around a little bit. Verse 24, it tells about a Jew named Apollos. It says in verse 24, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. And he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Okay, when you look at that, what does that say to you? This guy was smart. He was not only smart, but he understood scriptures. He had a, 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 a very adequate grasp of scripture, scriptures. It says in verse 25, He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. And now let's stop there a second. That sounds great, right? If this guy came to Great Oaks... This guy was a learned man. He knew scriptures. It says he taught, he taught, uh, the word, uh, uh, he taught about Jesus accurately, not reading the rest of scripture. What would you say about that guy? How would you roll? Would you put him, become, would we place him as a uh, leader of a small group? Probably so. Because, just because he, but we have to look at, right after that, there's, there's this comment. And it says this, though he knew only the baptism of John. What does that mean? It means even though he had knowledge of God, he, he had knowledge of scriptures, at this point in time, he was not a Christian. He was not a Christian. And it says he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And what happened? Did they just let him go and do anything he wanted to? No, the issue is, is that Priscilla and Aquila, some people that, a couple that, a godly couple, a God-fearing couple who knew Christ, who were followers, heard him and said, well, this guy's got a lot of potential, but he doesn't have the big picture. And it says in the next part of the next verse, then it says this, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Now, what I saw from this, the first thing I saw here is this, is that one of the reasons we must get the message right is because it's not just about knowledge. It's not just about knowledge. There's a lot of people, the Bible says it's Satan. No scripture. Would you place him in charge of your small group? I hope not. And even though Apollos was was learning, he was going to the temple and he was he was he was he was talking about scripture he did not know he had not placed his trust in jesus christ because he did not know about jesus christ see it's not the first thing the first reason it's important to get the message right it's because it's not about knowledge it's about whom i trust you can have all the knowledge in the world but still still not still not be a follower of christ we have this problem in our culture today that we think that if we're going to a church and sitting down on Sunday mornings, you know, that's all we need to do. Or I go to a Bible study. I go to three Bible studies. 
It's not about knowledge. It's about in whom I trust. After this instruction, too, from Priscilla and Aquila, where they explain more adequately the way of God, obviously some things changed in Apollos' life because in the next uh, few verses, verse 27 and 28, it says, Then Apollos, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, their brothers, the brothers and sisters encouraged him. This is talking about the believers. And wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. This is why it says, For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Now he got it. And he was teaching the primary message. We need to understand that one of the reasons we need to get the message right, that God is going to give us a message to, to teach, is we need to understand that it's not just about knowledge. We need to have, make sure that we understand the core of the gospel. The gospel, that it's about putting our trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's not about how much you know. It's not about who you know. Well, it is about who you know. But the only one that counts is Jesus. So that was the first illustration I saw. That's the first reason why it's important to get the message right. The second one is a little bit later in chapter 19. It says, as Paul continues, continues on in his journey, it says, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. He left Corinth for a while and left and went to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That's a legitimate question because what happens in Scripture every time we see an act so far, every time that a believer becomes a person becomes a believer, it says that the Holy Spirit comes into their life. Now, sometimes uh, it was followed up by something miraculous. Many times it wasn't. But the issue is, is that that's a legitimate question. He wanted to know, do you really know who the Holy Spirit is? And then it's, they answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, now, go back in the, verse, the first verse that says, Then he found some disciples. These were people who were, who were sincere. They were followers of, of, of teaching. They, they were sincere about their relationship with God. And so after he said that in verse 3, Paul asked them, he says, Then what baptism did you receive? Once again, John's baptism, they replied. Uh, which, what is John's baptism? Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It's about saying, I am sincerely sorry. And I'm going to turn from the direction I've come from. That was about John's, but it wasn't about placing your trust in Jesus Christ. So Paul said, and then he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. He said, you, don't, you haven't followed the, the whole process here. In verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They heard about the full message. Once again, it wasn't just about John's baptism of repentance. That's the first step that we all have to take for us to become believers in Christ, the Bible says. Repent of our sins. Understand that, it's, that I'm this way and I have to repent of my sins. But it's not about leaving it right there and being saying, I'm sincerely sorry. It's about coming to the place of realizing that I have to go further. I have to place my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it says in verse 6, the outcome of this was when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues. Now that word tongues there is the word languages. Okay? There's different 
different uh, uh, Greek words that say that. It says, and they prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. Now, when I looked at this, I'm a little confused for a little while until I started thinking about the context of this whole passage. And I asked myself, what is the lesson that Paul's trying to teach us here? Luke's trying to teach us here as he, as he writes Acts. It says, so the, why is it important to get the message right? Because it is not about just being sincere. These guys were sincerely committed to being disciples of, of John. They were sincere. It reminded me that this past week, uh, last weekend, I was, I was kind of a chicken, I'll tell you that, okay? Um, Saturday, last Saturday morning, I was getting up and I was doing some stuff in my garage, had my garage door open, and I, and I was actually, uh, <clears throat> I was transferring some stuff from my car to, uh, to the, to the garage, taking my golf clubs out, you know, I wasn't going to use them for a day or two, and so I took them out and did some stuff and was doing stuff, and I noticed this van pull up in our sub, uh, this van pull up in our cul-de-sac, I live in a cul-de-sac. <clears throat> And then I, that, then it got out. Uh, then an older couple and a, and a and a man probably in his thirties, late thirties, with with a with a kid who was probably ten years old, got out. They were all dressed in suits and ties. Now, guess who they were? Anybody want to take a wild guess about who they were? Jehovah Witnesses. And luckily, this is the chicken part. Luckily, I knew I had something to do. So I didn't have to lie to them because I didn't really want to spend a whole lot of time debating with Jehovah's Witnesses because I know that they are sincere people. They sincerely believe in what they believe. The problem that I understand from Scripture is they don't believe far enough. They don't, they'll, they'll say, I believe in Jesus Christ, but not as Lord and Savior of my life. That's why they're out, one of the reasons they're out going door to door. They're trying to earn favor with God. And they're sincere. But see, it's not about just being sincere. And there's lots of people who are sincere. But see, what happened in this passage is these guys were first sincere. But then when the Holy, when God's Spirit came upon them, they became true believers. What happened? Immediately the process of change began to take place. See, when God's Spirit comes into your life, the thing you need to understand, it will change who you are. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Creation. The old has gone. The new has come. It's not about enough just being sincere. Because you can be sincerely wrong. It's about having the message right. That the Holy Spirit, when he comes into your life, changes who you are. What happens when the Spirit lives in you? Now, now some of you go like, well, does that mean I have to speak in tongues? No, you don't have to speak in tongues. This is the last time in, in Acts that we see this, matter of fact, over the next several chapters. Several times it happened, and I think there's a reason for it. Once it, We talked about this earlier in the study, that, that, that God sometimes did things a little differently there. doesn't mean it can't happen today. just means it's not a regular occurrence. But the thing is, is that it happened there because he wanted to exemplify and he wanted to accelerate the process of authenticating the gospel. But what, is it, what does it mean for, uh, for you and me today? When the Spirit comes in my life, what kind of changes will take place? Well, turn to the back of your bulletin. If you have a bulletin, flip on the back. I did something totally different today. Some of you are like, those who are note takers, you're just, you're just cursing me right now because I didn't leave you a place to take notes. I'm so sorry. Not really. Uh, 
On the back of this, this is something I handed out to our leadership team. This is just a, a summary of why we do what we do here at Great Oaks. If you want to know what the purpose of the church is, what our purpose is, our mission is, our vision is, and our core values, this is going to be on here probably for a long time. Matter of fact, I'm going to teach through the core values in August, into July and August. And the thing is, is that if you look at this, these core values kind of give you an idea of some changes that happen in people's lives when the Holy Spirit comes into their lives. I begin to realize that. The first one is this. It says this in core values. Found people, find people. What does Acts 1-8 say? When the Holy Spirit comes. Come on, we've only said this three million times over the last 20 weeks. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, what will happen? He will give you the power to become witnesses. Witnesses to God's truth. See, the reality is this. When the Holy Spirit comes into our life and every person who is a believer has the Holy Spirit in their life, every person who is a believer has the Holy Spirit in life, the Bible says that clearly. One of the things that changes in your life is what you talk about. Because you're now a found person. And found persons find people. Because when you discover something that changes your life, I mean, I don't know about you guys, if something is really cool in my life, I can't shut up about it. Well, that's just you, Pastor, because you can't talk, you talk too much anyway. No, 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 no. If something in your life is, is important, aren't you going to talk about it? I mean, some of you, every time your, your child does something cute, I see it on Facebook. That's why I don't read Facebook. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, but yeah, you want to talk about it, right? Because it's cool. You know, it's, this child is your creation and they're, and they're, they're saying cute things. They're going, oh, there's, there's hope for my child. But see, that's the first thing that will change in your life is the way you speak about who God is and, and what you want to say to other people. Does that make sense? It's scriptural. It's about everything. I mean, the first one there, I didn't put these in any order. This happens to be the way they are. But the thing is, is that one of the things that will change in your life is that you will begin to speak and be a witness for others. And it may not. Now, some of you are, are, are much more comfortable with being a verbal witness. But all of us are witnesses. If you claim to be a Christian, you will be a witness in some way, either a bad witness or a good witness. But the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, will give us the ability to be a witness and to be a witness accurately if we allow ourselves to be to be uh, to be used by the Holy Spirit. And you can go down this list. We'll be talking about all of these along the way. And you want to see some things that will change in your life if you become a believer. Found people, find people. Saved people, serve people. If you're saved, you'll want to serve because you'll begin to see people the way Jesus sees people. Growing people change. Let me tell you, folks, if, if you're a believer and you're still stuck in the same way you were when you start, before you were a believer, you got to ask yourself, am I allowing the Spirit to work in my life? Because growing people change. People that are in Christ change. You can't do life alone. You can't be a lone ranger and you can't outgive God. You can read all those. We're going to be fleshing those out later this summer. But those are all important things that when the Spirit comes into your life, these are the changes that will take place. So the thing is this. Why is it important to get the message right? Because it is not about being sincere. It's about realizing that when God comes into us, His Spirit comes into our life, we will change. No exceptions.
Third illustration. Begins with verse 11. I thought this was funny when I read this because that reminded me of something happened in college. And I'll tell you that in a second. Verse 11 says this. And it goes on, it talks about some things that Paul had been doing. He spoke to some people. Some people were obstinate, didn't listen, refused to follow the way and so forth. But Paul kept being, remember he was encouraged back in that chapter 18, keep speaking, keep proclaiming the word. Don't give up. Don't quit just because people don't always agree with you or don't, don't always like you. And then it says this in verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that kind of a strange wording? Extraordinary miracles. I mean, I thought a miracle was pretty extraordinary. Does that mean there's ordinary miracles and extraordinary miracles? It must be. I don't know. But these are like beyond the normal, you know, healings and stuff. You know, he says it did extraordinary miracles beyond anything else anybody had ever seen. So that even handkerchief and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. I was so, I thought back to college. I remember in college when I was in a, I lived in a, a house off campus, actually right across the street from the dorm. I was on a Christian school, okay? I was in a Christian school. And uh, all the guys in our dorm was there was there was seven of not dorm in our house there were seven of us, five of us were religion majors, and uh, two guys were drama majors. So it was kind of an interesting house. Um, and so uh, so we we were hanging out there. And I remember one day one of the guys got this thing in the mail, and it was this it was this thing. He came in here laughing his head off, and I was going like I still remember this. And he was going like, Can you believe this? And what it was, he got this thing in the mail. And it was this, it was what it was. It, it was an envelope, and it was a picture. And he opened it up, and it was this picture of this guy and his family, and all of them had white suits and dresses on. And it was Reverend so and so and so and so. And in it was this piece of cloth. It was called the something prayer cloth. I can't remember what the name of it was. It's a prayer cloth. And in the literally said in this package, it says, if you will take this prayer cloth and you will place and place it in your Bible for 30 days and begin to ask God prayerfully over it and then take it and send it to me along with your special offering to my ministry, God will bless you. No doubt. Where did he get that from? This passage, he totally perverted what it said. You know, I mean, was that real? No. People will do all kind of bizarre things when they, you know, they, they're trying to replicate things like that. And this is, I've heard that before in other, other ways as well. But it says Paul did that. Then right after that, it gives this example. It says, and so there, here's some other people doing something a little different, but uh, it's kind of the same deal. It says some Jews, now these are not Christians, some Jews went around driving out evil spirits. Who, who went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. Now, this doesn't say these people were followers of Christ. These were Jews, but they were trying to drive out demons by using Jesus' name. And this is what they said. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, not whom I know, but whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Kind of a weird way. It's kind of like being religious. They were just going through rituals here. They thought, if I use the magic name of Jesus, then what will happen is these demons will be driven away and I'll become famous. I don't know if that's what they thought, but that's what kind of seems like to be here. And so it says in verse 14, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. Seven guys. And then I love verse 15. One day... The evil spirit answered them. The evil spirit actually spoke to them. Jesus I know, 
And Paul I know, but who are you? I wonder if you said it that way. Like, you know, I mean, you're using the name of Jesus, but I know Paul, I know, I know Jesus, but I don't know who you guys are. What are you, what are you doing? In verse 16, then this one man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them, all seven of them, and he gave them such a beating that they all ran out of the house naked and bleeding. What a cool story. That could be made into a movie. The thing is here is the issue is, and I begin to ask myself, what is Paul saying here? What is Luke saying here? Why is it important to get the message right? What were these guys doing? They were practicing religion, going through rituals. They thought if I do this, I'll get some kind of power or I'll have power over something. You know, I, I just, it just, I didn't need to do that. Because, see, the thing is, it's important to get the message right because it is not about being religious. Because religion does not give you the ability to overcome spiritual strongholds. And you're going like, what's a spiritual stronghold? You know, these guys were not Christians, but they were religious. It was not enough to overcome satanic forces. The question we don't really want to talk about in our culture today is Satan real? Is Satan real? Well, according to Scripture... He is powerful and real. 37 times in the New Testament, he's called the adversary. He's called the slanderer. He's called the evil one, the father of lies. He's mentioned 250 times. Satan or demons are mentioned 250 times in the New Testament. He's real. And the second question that comes along is this. Can can a Christian be controlled by Satan? It's a good question, right? But And I'll tell you the answer, only if you let him. But let's go back to the original question. Can a Christian be controlled by Satan if you let him? Because in Romans 6.16 it says this, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? That's not the only verse that says that. 2 Timothy talks about it too, over and over again. Uh, You know, a believer cannot be controlled by Satan against his will because the Bible does say that greater is he that is in you than he is in the world talking about Satan. But the issue is, is that in Ephesians 4.27, Paul says, don't give Satan a foothold. Clearly, there's the possibility of us having to deal. It's like, you know, yeah, we have to deal with spiritual forces. And we just want to, don't want to admit that they're even out there sometimes. We're just like, okay, if, I, if it's out of sight, it's out of, if it's out of, out of mind. I don't want to see it. And I think because in our culture so often we've made light of it because we see all these stupid horror movies that make Satan look like some kind of a, you know, weird thing. And we're just going, oh, it's just crazy. And that's not what Satan, the Bible says he's a liar. He's a, he does it deviously. He tries to manipulate you and, and direct you away from what he wants you to do. The reality is that all of us are dealing not only with the things that we see, but with spiritual forces as well that are at work in our world. I'm not trying to be weird this morning, but I just want to be real. And I begin to ask myself here then, okay, so it's important to get the message right because we got to deal with spiritual forces, with, with spiritual strongholds, and just being religious won't do it. Coming to church, for some of us, some of us believe that coming to church on a Sunday morning and sitting here and going home is good enough. That's being religious. It's not about just showing up at a place and going through the rituals. 
It's about trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and placing him in the center of your life. That's what the message of Christ is all about. Because we see the outcome of all these things in verses 17 through 20. And it says this. This is the outcome of all this stuff. This is what happened after, after all these things happened. In verse 17. When this became known, that, that this, this, uh, these, these, this demon overcame these guys and drove them out. And all these other people had come to know Christ in different ways. It says, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the lord jesus was held in high honor and many of those who believed now came and openly confessed that what they had done and a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly and when they calculated the value of the scrolls the total came to fifty thousand drachmas and then this was uh, in, the, in this way the word of the lord was spread widely and grew in power now four things real quickly that came out of that i saw the outcome of this number one fear fell upon them You know what fear is in Scripture? Fear is an attitude of the heart that desires to be in right relationship with God because we realize this, I can't just do anything I want. There are consequences. God has placed everything in motion. He designed the world to search a certain way, and he says, here's the boundaries. In the garden, it started with boundaries, right? Tremendous freedom, but boundaries. You can't do anything you want. Fear says there is a God, and I am responsible to him. That's the first good outcome of this happening. Secondly, the name of Jesus was held high. He became a highest priority in their life. They're going like, wow, man, I need to take God. Not only am I fearing, but I want to take him seriously. His name is going to be placed on a pedestal. His name is going to be held high. And, when, and I'm not just going to wear a little bracelet around that says, WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? I'm going to actually do it. Thirdly, believers were confessing their sin. Is that good? Yeah, it is. Because without confession and repentance, there can be... God can't work in your life. The Spirit can't work. That puts the clamps on you being able to to live in the Spirit. doesn't God doesn't love you. It's just that simply you've placed the limitations on yourself because you don't follow God's plan in your life. It says they confessed their, they, they, they had held on to some old things. You know, sometimes we become a believer and we say, well, you know, I'm going to become a believer in Jesus Christ, and, and I'm, but I want to still do all, I still want to hold on to all this stuff. And some of the stuff we know is, is not things we should hold on to. And so these guys, these guys and girls, I don't know if it's just guys, but some, these people, they confessed some things. And one of them was that says a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together. I don't know what it was, like a book of magic or what it was, but obviously they had a great value. Because when they, it says when they put them all together, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. You know how much a drachma is? No clue. I, I didn't either until I looked it up. It's one day's wage. That is 50,000 days wages. Now, that's a pretty big amount of money in that current system or think about it in our system today. It was something that would have been worthwhile, and they burned them all because they realized they needed to take God seriously. They needed to overcome spiritual strongholds, and the only way to do that was to get rid of the old self, which we'd already talked about there as well. And finally, it says the word of the Lord grew and, and gained greater influence. See, that's the purpose of our witnessing. Not that you and I will be looked upon as great people. 
but that God will be glorified, that Jesus' name will be the focus. You know, the greatest honor in the world is to be used by Jesus to lead someone else to him. That's the greatest thing you can do in life. And God said that's, one, that's why the Holy Spirit, one of the reasons the Holy Spirit comes to you, and one of the things that will change is that when the Holy Spirit comes up on you, you will have power, you and I will have the power to be a witness for him everywhere we go. I thought about, as I close the day, I thought about the issue of this stronghold thing. And I'm thinking about, you know, it's cool that, that they were over, able to overcome spiritual strongholds in that day. But what about us? What are the spiritual... Now, I don't know if any of you... I haven't talked to any of you recently that have practiced sorcery, okay? Maybe you do. I don't know. Now, you need to burn your scrolls or whatever you've got, you know? But the issue is, is I, those are not things that really relate. But let me tell you four spiritual strongholds that I think that we do have. Number one is unbelief. Unbelief is a refusal to act upon God's word. It's, it's this belief that there is some benefit we're just coming and sitting here today without acting upon it. That's unbelief. That can become a, you can do it so often and Satan will whisper in your ear and say, hey, just tell the pastor it was a good message and go out the door and do nothing. I, I can tell you, the purpose of us showing up here on Sunday mornings is not just to be religious. The purpose is to be encouraged by God's Word and to be trained in God's Word because it says in the great, if you look on the back of the bulletin again, how we do this, it says, you will go and, it says, it says, go into the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to do what? To know all things. No. To obey all things. Unbelief is a huge stronghold so often in our world today. We simply say, you know, well, I believe, but we really don't believe. Belief is not just knowledge. Belief is action upon the knowledge. And it can become something we do time and time again because we believe, oh, it's just good enough to go to a Bible study. It's just good enough to go to, I'm in three small groups. You know, I don't, it doesn't matter unless it changes you. The second stronghold I see is the stronghold of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. The word forgiveness, forgiveness is, this is the definition I call of forgiveness. The decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured you. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. But it's the result, the decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured you. When I don't forgive someone, I choose not to forgive. That can become a foothold for Satan. It says in Ephesians 4.32 that we are to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Let me tell you, folks, I think this is one of the strongest strongholds that I see in people's lives so often. They just can't get past the past. I know, man, it's tough for me too sometimes. I still think about, I've, I've said I've forgiven somebody for something a long time ago, and I still remember it. So every time I see them, I'm, and then I try to say, okay, I've forgiven them. I've forgiven them. I'll do it again. Okay, I forgive you. I'm not going to hold it. You know, I, it hurt. It's, it was really bad. But I'm, and, you know, all of us have had those things, different levels. But Satan will take that and become a, a stronghold where you're standing. I'm not going to forgive that person. And you know who it affects? You. Another stronghold that I see in our world today is finances. We talked about this all last fall last year is it wrong 
to have stuff? No. It is wrong for things to have you, though. See, when we compare and we covet things, it's wrong. What should we do with money? Well, we should gain it honestly, the Bible says. We should grow it wisely. And we should give it generously. Not hold on to it with a fist. That's the way that God wants us to understand. So you, you notice the, the, last, the last core value, you can't outgive God. If Jesus isn't first in your finances, he can't be Lord of your life. It's one of the greatest tests of where we are with God and letting God's spirit work in us of anything I know. And then finally, another stronghold is fear. Fear. Worrying about stuff that we can't control. You know, the Bible tells us if we're fearful, it's not from God. It's from Satan. He wants us to be fearful. Anytime I'm going, yeah, you know, let me tell you, this is your first response. You're going through a tough time, and so what do you start thinking about? Well, am I going to lose my job? Or am I going to, am I going to, is is my kids going to grow up as juvenile delinquents? Because they do one bad thing, you know? Uh, you know, we start fearing stuff. We have this irrational fear. It says in the Bible that God, is, God does not give us a spirit of what? A fear, but of power. That's one of the outcomes of the Holy Spirit, relying upon him, giving it to God. And fear can become a spiritual stronghold. So why is it important to get the message right? Why? Because the message is not about just having more knowledge. It's not about being sincere or religious it's about life-changing, the life-changing power of God living in us. It's about trusting in the only one who has the keys to life and eternity. It's, it's, it's about following the one who has given you the plan and the power to truly change your life. It's about allowing the Spirit to work through you to overcome the strongholds that bind you and make you miserable every day. See, it's great to tell somebody, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, which is true. But that's not all there is. God wants, to, wants everybody to have more. He wants to have everything. He wants us to live empowered by the Spirit. And that's the message that we need to get right because it can be so easily perverted. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakcc.org.